Hey everyone, quick announcement before this week's episode. Uh, our good friend Taylor's sibling, Fennel, is raising funds on GoFundMe for their gender affirming surgery. We would really appreciate it if you would just consider supporting Fennel and check out their GoFundMe page. There's going to be a link in the episode description. Mean the world. Thanks. The Dane and Derek Show is an uncensored, unfiltered podcast. Content warnings can be found in the episode description. Everybody. Welcome back to the Dane and Derek show this fine, fine Wednesday morning. This is a podcast where two nerdy friends keep in touch and shoot the shit. And my name is Derek Aiello. I'm a writer, director, and avid tabletop RPG player. And with me as always is my good friend, Dane Fogdahl. Hey, I'm Dane. I'm writer, musician, podcaster, and a lover of tabletop RPGs. Uh, we're back at our on our shit, aren't we? Yes, we are finally doing another D&D episode <laughs> or tabletop episode uh, for the broader sense, because I know you play a lot yeah, yeah. of world and I play a lot of quest now. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, finally, it's been it feels like it's been a long time since we've done a dedicated episode. It feels like it, but I, I, somewhere in my brain, I'm like, I don't actually think it has been. I feel like, I feel like it's long for us, but it's not long for like other people. (laughs) (laughs) You are completely right. And for those wondering, or for those who haven't read the title of this week's episode, we're talking about campaign setting philosophy this week. Mm -hmm. Arguably the most daunting task any game master has to deal with when making a game for friends is... What the fuck do you do with a campaign setting? Yeah. Um, so real quick, I, I do have a question. Do you have a favorite, like, quote unquote, official campaign setting? From, I do. Like, D&D Wizard. What is it? It's Eberron. Is it Greyhawk? Oh, no, it's Eber- Eberron. Okay. Gre- Greyhawk's great. I've played in Greyhawk a lot, but personally, I really like Eberron. Yeah. How about you? Um... Okay, this is sort of cheating. Um, I like Theros. Oh, that's not cheating. Well, th- yeah, it's. I mean, Theros is technically a, a Magic the yeah. Gathering plane, but now it's so also a setting. Realms. <laughs> yeah, so that's getting messy. Yeah. Um. Anyways, yeah. So, uh, I have the Theros um five e book, and it's super fun and really cool. Um. So I I like that. Yeah, I I like that. Um. Yeah, I mean, I probably, I mean, I'm guessing that you like Theros for the same reasons that I like Eberron, which is that they're not so stock fantasy. Yeah, they're not, they're not super like common D&D fantasy style. Yeah, Yeah. like to me, Forgotten Realms and Greyhawk are pretty interchangeable. Yeah, Greyhawk's just grittier, basically. Yeah, exactly. Because it's a world post the conquering of a of a tyrant. And yeah. Forgotten the, Realm is, is a world at war. Forgotten Realms is Game of Thrones before Game of Thrones. I would actually kind of just I would describe Greyhawk and and uh Greyhawk is to to Westeros what Forgotten Realms is to Middle Earth. Okay. Their tone is Forgotten Realms is a lighter tone yeah. than Greyhawk. Okay. But yeah. yeah. yeah to be fair, they're both darker than uh, I don't know. Depends yeah. on what part of Tolkien you're reading. It doesn't matter. Exactly. Yeah. Point B. Everyone is <laughs> is like Aetherpunk, like Yeah. It's it's like yeah. s- steampunky. Like it's very different. And Theros is uh Theros is knockoff Greek Greek myth. Exactly. We'll just be honest. Um That's what but, I think Eberron and Theros do so well is they give you so many more options yeah like in eberron you can be you like warforged or like a super big thing like basically fantasy robots and in theros you can be like um this is like something that was super cool to me is like you can be a a like song that was so beautiful it came to life and became a person i'm like that's dope like that's super cool Um, yeah exactly so here's the interesting thing though as cool as these are i never fucking use them like ever, ever, uh, yeah. ever when I'm running a game. I, I haven't picked up a campaign setting in literal years. I think since the last game I played with you, like in high, early high school, that was the last time I played a game in Eberron. Right. You ran in Right. Yeah. Oh my that God. was the last time I ran a game in a campaign setting because. Right. And I think, and I think you would agree. I don't know if this is why you you make your own campaign settings, but 
those books are so goddamn overwhelming to read sometimes. And as beautiful as they are, it can present you with so many options, you become paralyzed. I find it I find it difficult to absorb mm, for sure. They're dense. Like I, yeah. I find it very difficult to absorb um, because it's not mine in a sense. Like one of the reasons I have never really been able to play, say, the Star Wars RPG or the Lord of the Rings RPG or um I kind of got into the Dragon Age RPG and there's a reason for that um which is at the time I hadn't really played the games yet so it just felt like a fantasy setting so it was like whatever my problem often with pre-made settings is that all of the important details have already been filled in um like something that like gets me about like forgotten realms is it doesn't matter like it doesn't matter how good the campaign is nobody gets to be dritz right there's already heroes that exist right it's like with like the star wars one it's like (sighs) yeah i get it they're fighting stormtroopers and they're doing cool stuff and we can make a fun story but we all know somewhere out there in our game Luke, Han, and Leia are doing shit, and it's more important. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't get to blow up the Death Star. You don't get to blow up the Death Star. Right. Right? Like, you don't get to be the person who threw the one ring into the mountain. Like, and that's why I like to come up with, I, I prefer to do my own settings, regardless of the numerous way I've done that now, is because I want the players to be the central figures. Right? Yeah. Like, it, I always come back to it as like, Tabletop RPGs are a storytelling device. It can be very war gamey, and there is a way to play them that's more or less just a analog video game. Right. But um, when I think that they're at they're at their best, or at least when they're the most satisfying for me, is we're collectively telling a story. And something that always strikes me is like when you're telling a story you should be telling the story that is important, right? Like if you're telling a story in a setting and with these characters, this should be, there should be a reason why you're telling this story and not something else. So like if we're playing in uh, forgotten realms, I'm always, my brain is always like, but forgotten realms hero is Dritz basically. Mm-hmm. So we should be focused there you know yeah um well and and that's the thing too right it's it's a little bit easier when you craft a setting to weave in the characters into that mythology a lot more yeah because in these pre-made settings like you said all the important details are filled out the map is completely discovered all the cities have long expansive histories there's been heroes before and unless you're like kind of making a parody of it it, it it can be very difficult. Uh, like I think yeah. I remember when we played the Immortals game back in high school. You know, yeah, that, that was, was one, one of the yeah, that was one I run ran and yeah. the world I came up with. Yep, one of the one of the best games that I think we both ever played in. You mm. know, that was a world where you a put these this band of scoundrels at the forefront of the narrative which enabled us to be a band of scoundrels up until we couldn't be for lack of a better way to, to well, put it up until you decided that you weren't anymore. Yes. Up until we decided that we, that we needed to change our, our ways. Uh, <laughs> um, but on top of that, like there were a lot of details that I remember you explained to me afterwards were things that you were like, yeah, if y'all went this way, these things might've happened. Uh, but because that didn't happen, we went this way, right? And it's like there's all these sort of magic items and characters that we met along the way that, you know, depending on certain things, ended up playing bigger roles. And that sort of flexibility, you it's it's a little it's a little harder to find ways to insert that into a pre-made setting. And also, yeah. um, this is something I do really want to talk about, which is your map making technique. Uh the one map at a time, which I believe that was the first one you did that on. One map at a time. Yeah. yeah. 
where yeah. I would do one region at a time. Exactly. And build out. Yeah. One region, which I think when you think about it like that, when you think about creating a starter sandbox for players, that's pretty small. I think that mm. is what makes coming up with your own campaign setting, at least for me, really appealing. Because then you only have to worry about the confines of this. And you don't have to yeah. think that much beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. So my philosophy around building your own campaign setting has changed a bit over the years mm -hmm. um, as the games I've played changed. So like with that Immortals campaign, um, one thing that like I needed was we were all pretty still in like the war gamey phase. Um especially with some of the players at that table. It was very combat heavy. It was very adventure heavy. Not a lot of like interpersonal drama mm -hmm. <laughs> between characters. Um, because that's just kind of like the phase we were in. Right. So like the world, I kind of was way more sandboxy. Like I was like, here's a map. I have everything on this map pre-prepared. So you just go wherever the fuck you want and it's going to be fine. I have it prepared. We're going to do it. It's going to be great. Um, now what I do is it's way more, I'll take one of two tracks now, which is either I'm going to generate this with my players as we go. Um, meaning that maybe we're going to play a game that is a world building game. Maybe we're going to play a city building game. Um, or last major long-term campaign I ran, we started with the origin story of two major gods. Like mm. we played out the, we played out a creation myth and then did a world building thing and then played a game that set up the main problem. And then we played a campaign dealing with that problem in dungeon world, um, which you can listen to all of on diceology. It's the shepherd's season. Yeah. <laughs> so like that's one way. Whereas like when I sat down, um, we started with literally nothing except the fact that Natalie was like, I kind of want to play a warrior explorer goddess. And I was like, I kind of want to play a home and hearth God. And then we went, everything else came from that basically. Mm. Um, and so it like took this seed and it like spun it out, which has the advantage of everybody is really bought in because everybody helped make it. And everybody has like some ownership over it. What I will say is that, root tends to be a little less holistic in a sense like in some ways it's really holistic and nobody has more ownership over the world than others um but on the other hand it's not quite as cohesive is maybe the, the better word mm -hmm. um because so many people have their like fingers in it right so it's not super consistent and it also there are types of players who really really struggle with that because like for some people, there's literally nothing scarier than a blank page, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, really hard for them to create a character, to create an idea from nothing. Mm -hmm. And so like some people will crack open a campaign setting book from, from Wizards of the Coast and be like, oh my God, I can totally figure out how to make a character in this. Awesome. 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 Right. Because right. it, it feel, it gives them the, the bones to work around. So my other philosophy which is the one i'm running with right now is basically to just make my own campaign setting book um and just leave out the heroes essentially right like mm -hmm. and then when people come to me with ideas be really flexible so like right now what i'm working with is like a, the basic of the campaign is like uh it's it's a fantasy setting that's heavily norse inspired so there's there's like a world tree and all this stuff and then the world ended ragnarok happened everything got fucked up um and it's over and now uh the world is very different and quite a bit less legendary but maybe better for people um even though it's a little wilder and a little more ruined um mm. and so like that that was my baseline and then uh, one of my players came to me and was like, I really want to play the psychic class. And I hadn't built in psionics at all. And I was like, dope. We're just going to do it. Like, great. I'm like, now it's a thing. Um, so that's like the other way to do it. And like, I have like this thing called a scabbard, which is um pretty cool tool 
we'll talk about that sort of stuff some other time, but like where it's more or less like a, a, almost a wiki, like a private wiki for, for players so that they can, like, I can just hand it to them and they can like explore around and dig into it as much or as little as they want or need. Oh, very Um, cool. And like my needs around this campaign are very different. Like when we were in high school, I knew that we would get to Ryan's house at like 11 AM and we leave at like midnight <laughs> yeah you know mm-hmm. so like these dungeons could be expansive and like i could like fuck around with it and it could be this like endless sort of like thing right mm-hmm. now we're a bunch of adults <laughs> who have four hours on a thursday night yeah <laughs> right and so like the way it is is that it's not actually useful for me to make those maps like i used to as much as i enjoy doing them so i actually have a whole kind of like world map with like cities and major regions in them Mm -hmm. so that people can like get a sense of stuff but i don't have every square mapped out because the assumption is not that you guys are going to go crawling through every little nook and cranny what people want is for me to kind of give them an episode of tv and so like what i need is like a certain amount of premise premise and stuff so in like this case like they're all part of a caravan so essentially i can have them be moving around the map as much as i want but not everybody has to show up and um all i have to say is like oh yeah they stayed at the caravan this time but when you guys picked up and moved halfway across the map between last thursday and today um they were along they didn't just they're not like stuck in town town moves um Mm. and like the setting has so many ruins in it so that basically every time the dungeon's right there and so they're going to go and be able to do a thing and have like a, a really concise adventure and then come back and reset. Um, and so like, this is a really long way for, for me to say my opinion about campaign setting is like, make the setting that works for the game you need to play. Yes. Right. So for my players, that's what they need. So I'm going to make that for them. For the show, it needs something way different, something way more structured, um, because we have to entertain. Um, you know, yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, that's exactly the dilemma I faced when designing the campaign setting for the show that I just put out, like earlier this week. Hell yeah! <laughs> like i I had to think about how does this world work. How much is too much lore to be said over audio waves? And mm-hmm. how can the players feel central to the storyline without getting swallowed up by too much? And how can they also discover things along the way? Yeah. I think I it's funny because like I, I, I when you said that you're building your own campaign book, I was kind of like smiling because that's kind of how I do it. I in the old days, I would have like a like a like a ruled college ruled notebook that I would write everything in. Now I just have a long Google Doc with everything, and then I copy and paste whatever I need into sort of the document for the players, and I'll put like pictures and stuff um, because that's yep. fun. Uh, but yeah, like coming up with a sort of world that kind of fits the game. Like I I found that for me, like coming up with like a log line almost for the setting. And then seeing what people initially say what they want to do as a character and then kind of going from that to then being like, okay, well, maybe the world is like this and then whittling that down. Because like, I think when I initially was pitching around this, 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 this show and this, in this campaign setting, I was like, it's an ancient world with a sorcerer and the sorcerer has minions everywhere and dominion is ruled wahaha and then somebody was like well what if the sorcerer was a natural disaster and i was like Mm -hmm. oh cool like a drought and then we went from there and then that turned into like oh maybe like the drought was caused by a dragon that has been gone and is and is and maybe that's the premise of the campaign is that the dragon is now back um and how and like and because I, I, I call it world building light because I hate, hate lore. I hate coming up with lore. It's, yeah. it's so much fun, but it's so hard to remember. So I always do the thing where it's like, oh yeah, that's a lost thing. Like that way, whenever it comes oh. up, it, it can, it can be kind of added or improvised in the world, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. I have gotten away with that by being like, like people have like asked me like, Hey, so like in the lore and I'm like, 
they're like, would this thing have been like culturally important? I'm like, I don't know. Uh, because that's ancient lost thing from when before the world ended. Yeah. Um, so like, I'm like, I, I don't know, maybe. And I can also like say no, if it's just a little, like that would be game breaking. Please don't do that. Um, yeah, exactly. And it's, I think it's interesting because like, like I very much like what kind of relating to last week's episode, I kind of look to other like television shows and fantasy genre, like, like media to kind of see how my world is going to be influenced. Right. And like my current game is very influenced by like Beastmaster and breath of the wild and, uh, like princess Mononoke and, uh, like Xena Warrior Princess, like those were like my big inspirations going into the world. Yeah, mine for this one was Norse mythology right at the top, um, Dark Souls and Breath of the Wild. Like those were the ones. Nice. Um, it's yeah, and like I think like the like we like like you keep iterating and like we keep talking about like having the characters being central to the storyline or not even certain to, to to the world building. And crafting a world that fits those characters is so incredibly important. Like, I was playing a masks game, mm-hmm. and I was having a really hard time crafting like a superhero city. So instead yeah. of crafting a superhero city, I was like, "What if? What if it's just Los Angeles in the year twenty thirty something? Right. We just call it Neo Angeles, and that way I can reference all these places my friends know." And that ended up really informing a lot of like the characters. Like one person was like, Oh, I want to go to like the USC equivalent. That's where my character goes to school. Another character, another person was like, I want my person to be like a former child star. And what does that look like in a world where they have superheroes? So you, you know, there's no need for visual effects. Uh, and you know, like that was like a great springboard to kind of build a lot of these other elements of the world. Like the fact that there's like superhero influencers and stuff like that. And that was all kind of like a combination of like putting it in something that gave enough context that then opened up the door, Uh, which I guess is like a really great way, a really good point about a campaign setting, right? Is like the campaign setting gives context for the characters. It's not necessarily the like the most important thing. Yes. Yeah. So like I pulled up, I pulled up the my campaign like lore book right now and I and I'm realizing so it's it's got a table of contents. Wow. And so like I'm looking at my characters pages and one, two, three, four, five, six. So over half of my of the characters I have right now are player characters. Um nice. Because that that's something like I was like, I don't want to fill in like and like the the NPCs I have right now are ones that are super necessary. Mm. Um like who leads their caravan? <laughs> like that one's pretty important, right? Like certain ones that I need to set in. And what I'm currently been gathering from people are NPCs connected already to their characters. Yeah. And then I might come up with some other ones that are just for fun or ones that I'm like, oh, I'm going to need this. Um, but what what I realize is like super important. The two, the one big section that is like bigger than any other is groups for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so like collections of people, the pe- the groups that influence the world more than individuals. Um, and like the other big thing is like places. So like towns and, and like regions. Um, and then like things that I, I did really want to know, like I have like how the undead work because anybody who's ever played a, a fantasy game with me knows I fucking love the undead for some reason. I don't know why, but like the undead are fucking rad to me. So I'm like, I always use that. Um, but I also have like justice as like a thing because I was like, okay, a, a number of these people have like skirted around and fucked with the law. So I need to know, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. um, like that is like really important or like, um, uh, like magic, like I have like a really big long page about how magic works. And um, something I did this time that I don't think I've ever done before is I pre put in the monsters that exist. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, and the reason I did that is like, 
I want them to feel very part of the world. So I want my players to know about them beforehand. Interesting. If that that's, makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, that's, I am kind of shocked that you don't pre-pick your monsters beforehand. Um, um, it used to be that I would just have the monster manual and whatever right. I needed for the dungeon, I would just pick. And it, some of it was about like, ah, beholders are fun as a GM, you right. know, like, no, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, well, that's just interesting to me because like, like I, I definitely like before every campaign setting, I go through like a monster's manual or like, a, or, or, or like a mythology, like Wikipedia. And I look for creatures that I think would make sense to have in the world. Because I, I, I find it almost as important as like knowing where every village is. Like the fact that I know that there's a dragon that lives here and some sort of a strange crocodile creature that lives here and like a forest full of willow wisp down here. Like that's like important to me, but that's, that's funny that you've like just adopted a kind of method like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've just never been quite so intense about this. Like, you know, like there would be like whole campaigns where I just never touch a demon, for example, but like, mm. like I would cut out huge chunks of the monster manual, but not the whole, not so specific. Like in this case, it's like, there's undead, um, of a few variations. There's, let's see, giant scorpions, thunderbirds, wyverns, winter wolves and then some weird trees mm. um and that's it and my justification oh. for it being that like when there were multiple realms in the old world um only a few creatures managed to make it into the new world after the old world ended mm. um so i've just never been so specific about why these particular ones yeah um and so like yeah it's like we've been talking about like my my philosophy around uh world building and and setting campaigns campaign settings especially um when i'm doing this much prep work um as opposed to just being like yeah we're gonna sit down and do a world building game together um is that like it's really key for me to like be able to center stage who i'm playing with and something i realized though is that like as much as I love the world building games, a lot of the players I'm with right now, they don't like that. It doesn't help them. Mm. Um, so I was like, I really, I need to sit down and for the first time in a long time, put some heart and soul in this so that they have like a foundation to work on. Yeah. Um, yeah. And finding the balance, you know, mm -hmm. because on the one hand, I like the world I'm in and you know, something that happens in, campaigns that you run i'm sure you know this is that like npcs will become really important um and often not the npcs you expect oh all the time and and so like part of me is like there's there's always a temptation when you're you're starting out because you're so in love with the world and you've been working on it to like make your for lack of a better term to make your character in it um so i've been like kind of resisting that temptation lately um yeah Especially just because I, I want to see the NPCs they come up with and make sure everything kind of like fits in nicely. Um, and then yeah. make NPCs without a huge expectation around them being the ones that they fall for, you mm -hmm. know, because like, I'll say a, I'll say a character name that I know you're going to remember Jane. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, uh, Jane. Like oh, Jane. Jane was not supposed to be important. Jane was a major character in that Immortals campaign that Derek uh was was talking about earlier. Yeah. Um she was just supposed to be the fucking innkeep and then you all y'all were really evil and I needed some like I needed somebody to keep you guys in line. So yeah. she turned into she turned into a from like uh like just a barkeep who happened to be like an Eldrin into a 15th like or 15th or 20th level like eladrin fey warlock who had retired and she was like a princess or some shit because yeah. i was like okay i need somebody who can like put the fear of god in these motherfuckers so that they just won't raise this town to the 
ground. Yeah, well, I mean, um, our party was 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 quite ill composed for heroics. An undead monk, a vampire, a, a, an anti paladin, I'm pretty sure, and a bounty hunter, and a couple of other folks that evil wizard, evil wizard, yeah, no oh, necromancer, yeah. just an evil wizard, just an evil wizard, right? Didn't do necromancy, Didn't like, do necromancy. no necromantic just, spells, just like would use fireball in such a dickish uh, way, yeah. Um, Oh my god, I am having so many memories of getting hit by that fireball. That damn fireball. Ryan had to take a break because he had gotten hit so many times by the fireball. He was playing a a vampire, so he uh, was frequent. Fire was one of the very few problems for him. Man. Um, But anyways, yeah, yeah, like um, I needed this character and I, I didn't expect her to be important, but then I had to give her more powers and like you guys really liked hanging out with her and so by the end um she was almost i would say close to a main character is she yeah she was definitely a main character by the end because like i mean spoilers for a campaign none of you were at uh, um <laughs> like in the final battle like the lich the villain that we had been chasing after like you know was like, haha, I've bound my life to hers. If you kill me, she dies. Yep. And I was like, okay. And I killed him. And then yeah. Ryan, and I looked at Ryan and I was like, okay, yeah, because yeah. Ryan's Ryan was a vampire, vampire who and, had fallen in love with her. Yeah. And then um, I was like, do it. And then he, he turned her into a vampire. Yeah. Because <laughs> I yeah. was like, we found a hack. And it was like, one of, it, that moment, I think about that moment of role playing so much because i because like you constructed a world right where that those decisions were possible and i think that's truly what we're like that's another thing that we're getting at right is we're crafting a world where decisions are possible and where players feel like they are in control of their narrative as much as possible which is part of the reason why the 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 pre-made settings or games that take place in uh, like video game worlds or movie worlds so often don't work for me is because here's a problem with playing in the star Wars universe, especially with the way their RPG is right now. You can never overthrow the empire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't, you, you can't. cannot be the one who kills Darth Sidious and Darth Vader. You can't right. do it. Not unless. And, and then it just like swerves so far into like fan fiction for me that it feels like the world is no longer the real one. And like, Yes, right? it doesn't like, feel as authentic. Right. And that's like part of it is that's why I like the original one so much is because it's like, no, everybody can have a Forgotten Realms campaign, but you, me, Ryan, all those guys, we're the only ones who ever got to be in the immortal. Yeah, realm. exactly. That's it. That's, that's that, it. That, yeah. That's it. Right. Like this game that I'm about to start running, which I'm calling Realms into Saplings, I'm running for a large number of people and multiple groups, but that's it. It's their world. It's yeah. theirs. Like mm-hmm. truly it is theirs. Yeah. And that's something that I think is also an important philosophy is as a GM, if you, if you're in this situation where you do have to do a lot of prep um, and do a lot of world building and campaign setting creation and all of this, remember that you're not making it just for you. Right. It's important that you have fun with it and that you love it but it's theirs too. Right. Like, and like, that's when it gets so impactful, right? Like it's, it's so important that like, for me, that these, this, this realm I'm making for them is their realm. Yeah. And that they get to play in it in the same way that it is so important. It was so important to me that, you know, you you know, that Jane mattered and that the Lich King mattered. Yeah. And that the truth was, if you guys don't save the world, no one is going to. Exactly. Right? Like, and and if, that's the crux of so many games. Right. Like, when you craft it's like, them. If, or like, if, if you guys aren't going on an adventure, there's no other adventure to tell about this place. Exactly. Right. Exactly. It, which is odd because at the same time, you do want to make it feel alive. Right. Like, yeah. Um, there's you know it's it's, a balance yeah it is a balance and i think like what's nice about having a campaign book at the end of all of that prep right Mm -hmm. is 
if you're is is that if you get to be in the position where you're lucky enough to play with the same people in the same world again with new characters like a critical role or something yeah you get to do something completely different again like that's an experience that like I have yet to experience. I have. I've had yeah. it. Well, yeah, because um, you did it with the Immortals, right? And no, and oh, we kind of with the Immortals. Kind of. eh, eh. Um, no, I finally got to play in one like oh, that. Man. Uh, so here's the here's the crazy shit with this one. So this one's the one that's winding down. So we played a game that tend like gently we call God Squad. Um, and we played a game, and in the end, my character ascended from mortal to godhood. We flash forward like 8,000 years or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and like multiple ages has pa- have passed and we're playing a completely different set of characters, but all the rules have stayed the same. We all know who all the gods are already. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the places survived, but RGM changed them or ruined things or our choices mattered and reverberated out and now we're playing a second set of characters who are doing a similar thing um and it's been fantastic and i will say maybe the most amazing thing is that at this point near the end of the second campaign on some level <clears throat> i am playing my old character as much as i'm playing my current one mm. because she's a goddess and is like still alive and is in still influencing events but it's so much fun to genuinely get to play an obi-wan kenobi style style role Mm -hmm. um because so much of these games is like focused around people currently in an adventure whereas like it's weird to be playing someone who's like no no no, my story is like over but i'm not going anywhere (laughs) so i'm gonna give advice and like offer my my opinion you know like um so that's wild um Mm -hmm. so yeah it's super fun to do that but it only happens when like everybody buys in and like the world is consistent and it's yours right yeah like there's something very static about the forgotten realms there's something really static about greyhawk yes they're not going to change you can't change too much to it and the next time you sit down odds on things will have reset yeah um you know and like yeah no yeah that that is that is such a great way to put it they're they're static in the sense of like they exist they're there they're waiting but they're not they're they're like an mmo you know yeah like if like in 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 greyhawk let's say you burn down the city of greyhawk at the end of a campaign somehow mm-hmm. let's say you did that um well next time you start a campaign in greyhawk you probably need Greyhawk back. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Whereas like in any game we play, like you and me would play together, like Mm -hmm. if you burn down the main city, well, shit, you burn down the main city. You know, like Mm -hmm. um oh, like here's the thing, in that Immortals campaign, um, you guys like killed most of like the drow oh yeah like which you know like going back like this is kind of before you and i kind of like got in to like more um for lack of a better term like social justicey things so like drow back then for us were just monsters they were just monsters right like no different than a giant spider yeah really. i don't really remember why we did that i just um, know that because we because they we killed jane's little sister oh okay. and you guys were too slow and you felt oh, bad oh that was one of our yeah i remember they turned now her into, they turned her into a drider a half right. spider person We've, and you right. guys had to kill her knew you'd have to go to tell go tell jane what happened and the fact that you guys were too slow to save her and you guys lost your minds like yeah that collectively was like, like the six yes. of you at the table all lost your minds <sighs> and just spent the rest of like a six-hour session going through this like massive like super dungeon oh my god and then going to like digging around until you found the map that was like and here's the where the rest of our drow hideouts are went around (laughs) and just killed them all we went full anakin skywalker yeah 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 oh my god i forgot that we were that 
evil. Yeah, yeah. You guys like, had that was before your turn. You were close to your turn because you had started caring about people, but not so far as to think like maybe let's not kill everybody. Um right. which brings oh me to one gosh. last yeah, <laughs> with, yeah, dark and like whoa, like holy shit. Like guys, um <laughs> like looking back on that, I'm like, oh no, that wasn't good. I, like <sighs> now I'm like, as a GM, I shouldn't have let that happen. Um there's some things I should have like. I, mean, I should have pumped a pretty the hard party the GM for period. Yeah, I was like, I should have pumped the brakes on that a little more than I did. Um, but I was on us honestly. At I think it was like 16. I was so fucking floored at what was happening. How mad you guys were. Yeah, um, I was just like, I think if I don't let them do this, they're just gonna riot at me in the real world. That was probably um, the first <laughs> visceral reaction you got out of us in the whole yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like up until that point, you guys were just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll stop the Lich King, but so we can take over and then like this i was like eh, you know it's enough of a reason for them to do something but like oh they were too slow and the dice say that she's turned into an evil monster so they have to kill her and then like you guys just were like i every they have to pay and i'm like oh no um but this actually brings me to like one point i did want to hit on before we kind of wrapped up and i know we're a little over time because it ties in which is like something i do with my campaign settings now is I'm, I tend to take, I tend to live in a world that is like, or I create a world that is far more idyllic than ours, Mm. you know, like (sighs) Westeros is a kind of horribly sexist and racist and, uh, queer phobic setting yeah for a story mm-hmm. and i'm not interested in that like, yeah as a person i'm i don't really write i don't write novels like that i don't tell stories i just don't um and and so when i make my campaign settings you know they tend to be really heavy on quote-unquote representation even though my audience is tiny. Um, and like, I've stopped including things just being inherently evil. Um, like if, if you know what I mean, like no, inherently yeah. re- evil, like go- like goblins haven't been inherently evil in my campaigns for almost a decade now. Yeah. Um, just stuff like that, where it's like, I'm not against talking about big issues in my games. Um, but if my pick, my players want to play a queer, a queer or trans character, anything they want, I am not going to inflict upon them fantasy, uh, bigotry and structural, uh, racism, sexism. I'm not going to put that in the world. Um, well, that's not why people go to the table to play no. these games, right? Like nobody, f- yeah. Well, nobody I want to well, play with, at least. Yes, nobody. Yeah, um, no, nobody that you and I would want to play with, and probably yeah. a, a good chunk of people that we know wouldn't want to play in a game like that. Because yeah. What is the I, point of of I, exactly? Well, like yeah. Like, like what is the point of playing these games if not to dream up a more idyllic world and to run around in one and give yourself hope? Right. Part yeah. Part of the fantasy for me is that the dwarven kingdom is run by a pair of married kings. You know, mm-hmm. that's part of the fantasy for me. Um, yeah. And I was wondering, I from your answers to this has clearly made it made it perfectly clear to me that like that's how you operate as well. Um. On the show on Diceology, I included more of it especially in the 11 jump gates series having had a conversation with the players that we wanted to approach this it was definitely much more around classism um and hateful religions than Mm -hmm. anything else um in terms of portraying those yeah Mm. yeah like there was and part of it had to do with the fact that when we sat down to make it it was very much me having a conversation like where i was like hey the story i want to work with is about a setting that is very much talking about some very negative forces 
in our real world in this case being um a hyper capitalism um fundamentalist religion and um imperialism these three things and i want to really examine that and so we're going to have to include some things we kind of fantasied it up like for example um one of the groups that was hated was magic users for for example and there were like class divides and things like that and imperialism was very real but i still kind of kept like overt like direct like racism and sexism out um because i wanted to talk about these forces in a realistic way without um taking away from the joy of playing these games and um honestly me being who i am and who i identify as it's these are not my stories to tell it is my job and my responsibility to include and represent people but i cannot like there is nothing worse i could do than try and tell the story of a of a of a black queer woman in america right like mm-hmm. i i can't tell that story not honestly that's i it's my job to platform that person it's my job to you know show that person's work off everywhere i can um and it's my my job to include you know queer black women prominently in my stories <laughs> you know but it is not right it's not a story about that experience and because it's still storytelling i feel like all of this really matters like for this new campaign i'm doing i changed the term race to ancestries mm. because i'm just kind of sick and tired of it yeah um, yeah, yeah, I mean, that was a huge reason why in the game I'm playing on my show, we're doing we're we're using quest because there isn't you don't pick a race, you know? You don't yeah. pick like a direct ancestor, you kind of craft it out of key verbs that you decide upon. Exactly. And, and like, yeah. Yeah, and and on top of that too, like you know, we were very conscious and deliberate with our setting to not represent, you know, things that were dark as evil. That was something we were very deliberate. So the villain of the show effectively is a golden, bright, you know, like 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 white dragon effectively, you know, with golden yep. scales that reflects light everywhere and it's bringing magnifying the sun. It's it we flipped a lot of things you know there is comfort and safety in night for the for these characters and um you know i i think it's it's like as game masters right we are facilitators and we are people that have a lot of control over these things and we definitely have a responsibility to you know reflect the world that we want to see and the world that is around us in w- ways that are digestible responsible and safe for our players right Exactly. And I think that there's, it's, it can be very like, like there is a, there's a right way and there's a wrong way to, to, to be inclusive. Right. And Mm -hmm. you know, the way you described, right. Of if you were to tell a black queer woman's story, that wouldn't really work at all. Not my story to tell. Yeah, exactly. Not your story to tell, but that doesn't mean you can't include black queer women in your story. It's not even that I, I couldn't, it's not even that I couldn't or shouldn't make them prominent even central main characters it's that i can't tell the uh, the the struggle of being that person and identity right. in america i can't do that right but that person deserves to be the center of a story mm-hmm. because stories can be universal right exactly yeah like, and that's exactly 100 percent. and i think that it's such a an interesting thing right yeah and and it's and it's something that's like changed over time. Like when I sat down to make the immortals game, I wasn't thinking about any of this. I was mm-hmm. 16 and I was like trying to think about what monsters you guys wanted to fight. Yeah. Um, but as it's, you know, evolved and I've evolved it, like I, like I can't, I can't responsibly do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, and you know, the kinds of games and the kinds of people that we play games with have changed, you know, like, right. You know, like we played, we played with mostly a bunch of like high school white dudes. Yeah. Like, you know? yeah, I literally think me and Ryan yeah. were the only Asian guys at the table. Yep. 
<laughs> and we didn't think much of it, right? And it's like right, right. And, and and I think that that like you know that's changed. And I think like like I remember you and I would always talk about how like we need to get new people at the table all the time because yeah, like we need other voices to sort of quell other parts of the group or to bring a different perspective to it. And I yeah. think that like when we shifted to playing with like Sam and Will and those like last few games that 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 one summer. That was a completely different role playing experience. Yeah, you know? and then and then in college, I yeah. played with a group that was exclusively women and queer people. Mm-hmm. Like I was like I was the lone straight white dude. Like that was that <laughs> I was I was it. Um, yeah, and I was like, this is entirely different. Like I was like, holy shit, this is a completely different vibe. Yeah, no, um, I had the same experience except I started playing with like all of my Asian friends, we were all playing together. And I was like, wow, this is completely different. The things we're considering, the things that we're talking about at the table, the things that we are thinking about are things that I've been craving for so many years. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, I just couldn't put into words like what I was craving, the sort of like perspectives and ideas, right? Because it's like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like, like <laughs> this is a topic for a separate episode and there's a great podcast called Asians represent where they talk about what about Oriental adventures. <laughs> um, but there's like a reason why, like, I don't think I ever personally felt comfortable running like an Oriental adventures campaign setting. Right. Yeah. Um, and like, here's like a thing that I, like, <laughs> here's a truth. I really like the monk class in D and D and I feel weird playing it these days. <laughs> like I'm like, I, I'm a full supporter of separating, of removing monk and just calling it martial artist. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm just like, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah, no, and that like, was a that was a stipulation I made when I was coming up with the with the show setting. I, I told everybody, I was like, look, when I say monk, that is what I'm going to use in place of priest. When I say martial artist, that's what I'm going to use in place of someone who fights with their just their hands and feet right like yeah I, i'm separating the two because personally i i want to do that and like it's i don't know like i think one of my favorite games of all time like i played it with like a guy a girl and a non-binary person and it was just the, the four of us in a room you know trying really hard not to do commit arson and trying really <laughs> hard to like I, I told them before i was like I really want to be intentional about the game and I really want to be intentional about the decisions you all make in game. Like, don't just Mm -hmm. assume I want you to kill everything. And (laughs) that led to them befriending a minotaur at the end of a maze that led to them befriending like half the bandits they met along the way. Yes. So, Oh, can I, can I tell you a thing I did in 11 jump gates? This is, so here's a, here's a secret. I, in 11 jump gates, if you listen to, you will basically hear this always. Um, is that whenever guns got involved, I upped the difficulty hard. Mm. Um, and if both pl- if both parties had guns and were going to shoot at each other, it immediately jumped to the hardest difficulty because the mechanics we were playing, I could I could set the difficulty of of all actions. Um, and it and I remember this um, like anytime a gun came out, like the difficulty was like two to five, like things would jump to four if you were lucky and five almost exclusively mm-hmm. because I was like. I just guns are so fucking dangerous. Like you're not, you you can't get into like a, like a blow to blow where you take multiple gunshots, like bullshit. No, like if the gun comes out, if you're choosing to escalate to guns, then bad things can, and are much more likely to suddenly start happening to you. Exactly. Um, so no, I'm not going to lower the difficulty. I don't care how good you are with the gun. It's not about that. It's about the fact that you've brought a gun into the situation because that's the, that's the thing I wanted to talk about, especially if I was going to run a game and a show that centralized characters wielding guns right. is I didn't want that to seem like the best fucking option. As a game master, you have to think about these sorts of consequences and what yeah. kind of a world philosophy you're putting forward and like if you play in the forgotten realms everybody fucking murders each other all the fucking time it's a world where children get killed like that's normal um yeah and so like with this new thing that i'm doing like with dungeon world i capped damage way lower than normal 
um for players like just Mm -hmm. i was like nope damage is going to stop about here um and my reasoning for that was i was like i don't want to get to a point where for fun adventure combat encounters enemies need to be able to soak a lot of hits to Mm. feel dangerous what i would rather is that every enemy this is kind of something i stole from dark souls uh can take a couple hits usually from you and you can take a couple hits from them forever like i don't want you to feel like combat ever becomes trivial i want you to feel like if you've drawn a sword okay this is dangerous yeah the weight there should be a weight to it i yeah i want violence to matter I don't want to take it away because you know adventure stories, right? Yeah, I mean, um, and if we wanted, yeah. and I've played nonviolent event games before, things like Fall of Magic or uh, Dust mm-hmm. of the Traveled Road, it, all these things. Like, there, if you want to play a nonviolent game, they're out there. They're amazing. Go yeah. play them. Um, I've done it. It's great. Please do it more. Um, speaking of which, uh, some lovely acquaintances of mine are running a kickstarter right now for uh, their sports anime rpg uh, called fight with spirit and you should go check it out they have the quick start rules out already so you can play it i helped play test of like almost a year or two ago and it was incredible i loved that game so much um oh my goodness we okay yeah anyways we'll put a link uh, in the description yeah (laughs) we'll link in the description it's so good if you want to go play that game that's like non-violent go they're out there they're amazing yeah um these games like the part of the deal is that we're playing a you know a swashbuckly game there's going to be violence um but i do want people to still think about it a little bit yeah anyways we've almost gone an hour yeah, as 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 you as you predicted at off mic. Yeah, this but one. You know, yeah, this one. You you all are in for a treat. We had a lot of thoughts. We had a lot of things. We're both in the middle of working on these big expansive worlds, and yep. You know, I'm really curious to see how your world develops, and I'm really curious to see how mine develops. We should do a PDF swap at some point. Oh um, yeah, I would be so curious since I'm not playing in your game and you're not playing in mine, and. I mean, yes, technically it might spoil some things for the show, but it's okay. I trust it you. It is okay. <laughs> I don't mind spoilers very much. Well, wow. oh, we should do an episode about spoilers. We should do All that. All right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have a friend that solely believes that uh, spoilers enhance the experience, um, which uh, I will want to talk about. But long story short, everybody, make a campaign setting that is good for you, your players and the kinds of stories you want to have at the table because it is your story and is your friend's story and at crafting your own campaign setting can do that and also if you do want to use the pre-made ones that's awesome too yeah just make sure that you're centering your players you know yeah. like you've played like you've played fantastic games in greyhawk you have mm-hmm. yeah we've done um we've played i've played amazing games in ravenloft um myself like yeah. And 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 like right now I'm playing a very fun game that is set in the Forgotten Realms. So like it can be done and it comes down to what you as a GM need. So you do you. Yeah. You know, just don't have Dritz to word and show up and save your players all the goddamn time. No, 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 no. Please that's don't. not that's not fun. Um Yeah, that's not fun. That, that's just that's just pity. That's <laughs> you know when that's fun? That's fun at the end of season two of Mandalorian. It is not fun <laughs> in your own campaign where yes, you're supposed exactly. to be the Luke Skywalker, right? Like, exactly. Uh, spoilers for Mandalorian. Too if late. you haven't seen it by now, I don't Oops. know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you miss that? Did you? Yeah. Have you not seen the internet? <laughs> Question. You listen to this podcast? Yeah. How this do podcast. you not like? How do you listen to this podcast <laughs> yeah. and then not know that on some level, or have seen a gif of Luke? tearing up dark troop like i'm very curious like if you are that person and i spoiled something for you um get at us because i would like to chat with you yeah um uh well on that note we're gonna wrap this up real quick yep um you can find me anywhere everywhere at derek aiello and dane where can we find you and your stuff uh, you can find me at danewrights.com fantastic and uh Thank you all for listening to our episode about campaign setting philosophy. 
Uh, go listen to Diceology so you can list have context for all of this stuff that we talked about. And you can check out my my new show, Dice and Pizza. Yes, please also, go check that out. That yeah. shit's super good. Um, oh, yeah. Thank you, yeah. buddy. You're, yeah, you're a um, big influence on that. Um, oh, thanks. I gotta say, just pitch for people who may not have heard our shows. We are like, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I would say if you're looking for an Asian-influenced done by and for people from from that culture that actual that sort of actual place show go check derek's out if you're looking for something really weird artsy and alternative that's sad and very political hi (laughs) Um, yeah yeah if you want to talk about if you want to listen to people talk about food giant dragons and I don't know stuff. Yeah, that that's my show, and Dane's show has a lot of uh, robots. If you, if you want the the, the dangers of hypercapitalism while talking about <laughs> sad robots that are also um, lesbians, there you go. That's mine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, folks. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Bye.